I'd just like for you to just think of if you were a child and it's the hot summertime and uh, my grandchildren like to, if I had a sprinkler going in the yard, that's where they want to go, where the sprinkler's at. But uh, can you imagine telling them, uh, we're going to set the sprinkler up and you can go out and you can play and uh, you can get wet, have a good time out there playing in the yard. Only to have them come in and complain after the sprinkler's been going for a couple hours. The water never hit where I was at. To think that they would get angry and upset. That's not fair. They all got to play in the water. It never came down where I was at. And I think we look at that as being so silly and, you know, obviously you have to put yourself in position for the sprinkler to get you. It's a matter of choice. But I'm going to do my best, the help of the Lord, to show you it's also a choice concerning revival in these last days. God's going to do a great work, but whether or not you're a part of it will boil down to the decisions that you make. Nobody can make you and nobody can keep you from it. It's all about your positioning. And so that being said, I want to preach to you this evening on the subject positioned for apostolic revival. Positioned for apostolic revival. I don't consider myself to be an end-time scholar or guru. I'm pretty simple-minded about a lot of things. And uh, when it comes to the rapture of the church, I, I feel very strongly it will take place before the tribulation. Some people think it would be in the middle of the tribulation and some are post-trib. But I'm pretty simple about it to this fact. The important thing is be ready. Does that make sense to you? If you're ready, you're going to be okay. If not, you're going to be in trouble. But there are a lot of misconceptions concerning end-time revival. Some feel like it's never going to happen. And some feel like it's inevitable. It's just going to sweep us up in the last days. But the great thing about this is we do not have to be in the dark about this subject because the Lord very clearly lays out his plan for the last days concerning apostolic revival. I want you to listen to me very closely here tonight. There are two distinct lines of prophecy at work in the last days. One of them is connecting to the workings of the Antichrist, and the other is connected to the workings of Jesus Christ. And both of these prophecies are given in the Bible. You can read it, and, and uh, we'll make reference to some of them here tonight. But what I want you to understand is our positioning determines which line of prophecy applies to us? Where are you going to find yourself 
in the last days? Are you going to find yourself in a position that aligns itself with prophecy connected to the Antichrist? Or will you find yourself positioned in a place where you are connected to prophecies concerning Jesus Christ and apostolic revival? There are people outside the church that are connected to the Antichrist, and I I don't want to upset you and make you uncomfortable, but there are people that are positioned within the church that are also connected to the Antichrist. Uh, that's why the Bible refers to in the last days there being a great falling away. It's why the Bible talks about compromise in the last days. People that will be influenced by the doctrines of the Antichrist. But on the other hand, there are people connected to end time apostolic revival that are within the church. And there's also people outside the church that are going to be connected to apostolic revival in the last days. The ones in the church are the ones that stay faithful to the apostolic message, that believe the truth, humble themselves before the Lord. The ones outside the church that are going to be connected to the prophecies concerning revival in the end time are the ones who are hungering and thirsting after truth that God is going to reach in the last days to see them be a part of his church. I just know I want to position myself where I can be blessed in the last days living in apostolic revival. Can somebody say amen? It's all going to come down to where we position ourselves. You laughed at my example a while ago about the kids. But I'm just telling you, this is no laughing matter, but it's that simple. It's where you position yourself as to where you're going to be connected in the last days. I turn your attention to the book of Acts chapter 2. After the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, 120 praying in the upper room, all of them received the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues. A great crowd of people gathers in. It was Jewish people that were there to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, thousands of them. And they were wondering what was going on with this 120 that are worshiping God and, and uh, just really getting carried away and they're speaking in other languages. And we pick up with verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which would make it nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Everybody say last days. In the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. To understand end-time revival, we have to understand that the last day started 
with the birth of the church. Now, please, I beg you, get a hold of this. 2,000 years ago, 120 people on the day of Pentecost are baptized with the Spirit. Speaking in other tongues, the Spirit of God gives the utterance. The crowd gathers in, inquiring what's going on. Some of them thought they were drunk. Others thought they were crazy. The apostle Peter stands up and begins to preach. And he makes reference to an Old Testament prophecy from Joel. And he says, this is that. Joel said, in the last days, saith God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. The apostle Peter very emphatically declares, this is that. So technically, the last days started with the birth of the church some 2,000 years ago. Now, we get all bent out of shape over 2,000 years, but I know my Bible says a 1,000 years is as a day unto the Lord. When you're eternal, 2,000 years is nothing. And so we are living in the last days, but let's not feel like we've got a handle on this. It just belongs to us because we're living in a generation that perhaps could see the rapture of the church. We don't know, but we think that we see a lot of things taking place. But if we would happen to be a part of the generation that sees the rapture of the church, we have no more of a handle on apostolic revival than what they had 2,000 years ago. That was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. It still boils down, just like it did then, where do we position ourselves in the last days? In 2 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter writes in verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. The Bible has emphatically declared that the love of money is the root of all evil. Some people misquote that and say money is the root of all evil. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The Apostle Peter makes it very clear that as time progresses, we are going to find people through a love of money, compromise truth, and make merchandise of people, telling them what they want to hear in hopes they will be members of their church and pad their pocketbooks. In a nutshell, that's the compromising spirit of the last days of end time. You're going to see this mentioned again. The Antichrist will work through this glaring weakness. Anybody that calls themselves 
a preacher of the gospel needs to guard themselves against the spirit. When I was in Bible college, I was told, young man, if you fail God, it will be for one of three reasons, pride, women, or money, and not necessarily in that order. I was told emphatically by men of God that loved me and cared for the ministry that you have to guard yourself. You have to protect yourself. You have to have the word of God hid in your heart that you might not sin against God. The next chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, he writes in verse 1, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation of God. And I'm just telling you, I, I just... In awe at times when I'm reading the word of the Lord, uh, it's almost like humor between the lines. It's, it's kind of like when Jesus was crucified and was putting a, put in a tomb. Uh, members of Sanhedrin Council, that they come to the Roman authorities and, and they say, hey, he said that he was going to resurrect in three days and we think his disciples are going to come and steal him away. Don't you think we ought to put some guards around that tomb, make sure it doesn't happen? <laughs> he said, whatever you want to do, secure the tomb. Make it, make it secure. Really? So what are you going to do when he resurrects? And you had guards there that are now witnesses of the fact his disciples did not come steal that body away. He truly resurrected by the power of God. And so we have here this line in the last days that people are saying all things continue as they were from the beginning. And I love what the Lord says in his word. This they're ignorant of. How in the world does earth stand here with the division between land and water? Was it not spoken into existence by the creative power of God when there was a separation of water and land? And for these thousands of years, that spoken word of God has held everything intact. And it's even above and beyond that. It's more than I can wrap my feeble brain around when I think about we're here on planet Earth. And right now it's spinning and traveling through space. It just blows my mind that that great God could fabricate all that, create all of that, and make it so awesome and so neat. And these people are saying, you know what? All things continue as they were from the beginning. Do you know what you just said? This thing is so complicated. Do you realize if it had been put together by man, can you imagine these other planets that are going through space and, and all this motion in space? Uh, Earth could have collided with another planet. The sun could have got closer and burned us or got further away and we would all freeze to death. But the word of God has kept everything intact, perfect. Do you not know what you're saying? You are testifying to this great God and his awesome power. 
Verse 5, for this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, talking about the flood in Noah's day. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you not stop and realize what God's saying in his word? You nut. You're saying all things continue as they were from the beginning and acting as though he's never going to come back because we're seeing this continual repetition of things that are taking place. Do you not realize, first of all, his spoken word is what keeps everything in place. But secondly, do you not realize he's given you another day to pray, to repent, to get right with him and prepare your heart for his soon coming? What you're laughing at and making fun of is what you desperately need, the grace and mercy of Almighty God. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noises. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation or conduct and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I pray that God would put a spirit of soberness in all of our hearts and realize there's coming a day. There is a judgment day that's coming. Not because there's a preacher around. Straighten up. Here comes the preacher. People say they're kids. We need to be teaching them God's coming. He's coming. Get your heart right. Stay right. In Jesus' name. The Apostle Paul gives such an amazing description of things that are taking place now. And it's really amazing when you think it was written a couple thousand years ago. But this is the position of the world, the state of the world. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, Despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Have we got people in the entertainment business playing ball, making hundreds of millions? I saw... I was reading an article where this quarterback, I don't even remember what school he was going to, it may have been Florida, and you know how they're paying college athletes now, 
and I had him signed up for $13 million. And I thought, boy, he must be the best. He wasn't even a five-star. He's a four-star quarterback, $13 million. And it's amazing, one of the uh, sponsors of their sports program that gives all the money reneged on the deal. And I guess he got to thinking about $13 million for a four-star athlete. I don't think so. And now the deal's in, seems to be falling through. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's what he described concerning the world in the last days. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For this sort of they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amazing. The most educated and most stupid generation that's ever lived. It's absolutely amazing. College degrees and can't tell if somebody's a man or a woman. Amazing. Uh, uh, Amazing. That's the world that we live in. That's how he described the world. But he also describes the state of the church. And what preachers need to be like and what preachers are going to be facing. Second Timothy chapter four and verse one. He's writing to a young preacher. In fact, second Timothy is the last known writings of the apostle Paul. He is one of the most passionate men that you'll ever read. Loved the work of God, sold out to the work of God. And, and I think it's safe to say, a big part of that is to whom much is given, you know, not only is much required, but whom much is forgiven, much is given. And the Apostle Paul was involved in the murder of innocent preachers of the gospel before he came to the Lord. And so when he came to the knowledge of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, he was always driven, just driven. I got to do more, got to do more, got to do more. And he's getting to the closing hours of his life. And he's pinning these words to this young preacher that he wants to see it carried on when he's dead and gone. And he writes, I charge thee before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, not your opinions, not the opinions of other people. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When you feel like everybody's going to say, rah, rah, go preacher. Or when you think everybody might get mad because you preached it. Preach the word of God. You're not seeking for favor and you're not running from disfavor. You're here to please God. Preach the word. Instant out, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust. Everybody say lust. This is going right back to the other passage of scripture we warned you about a while ago. 
when people would be motivated by a love of money, he said, after their own lust, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. This is going to be the condition in the last days. And we're going to have preachers that have itching ears looking for another compliment because they know if people compliment them, they will be much more inclined to attend their church and offer finances to support what they're doing. And it all connects to this love of money. But Paul's telling this preacher with passion in his spirit, when it comes to the last days and you see all this taking place, you better not run out of fear and you better not run to them seeking their favor, but you better just keep preaching the word of God. And I'm just telling you, if you want to be ready for heaven, if you want to hear the Lord say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If there's anything this church ought to be praying for, give us a pastor that will preach the truth. I want my kids to be saved. I want my grandkids to be saved. You can't be saved without truth. That's why the writer said, the Lord said, buy the truth and sell it not. This is the position of the ministry in the end time, what they're going to be dealing with. And the answer is just keep preaching the word of God. Preaching the word of God. First John 4 and 3 tells us every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is coming to flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come. And listen to what he said. This is a couple thousand years ago. And even now already it is in the world. The spirit of Antichrist is at work. It was at work in the beginning of the church. It's at work now. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren. By the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. That's why I told you, Connected to the spirit of the Antichrist is people in the world and people in the church. We expect the people in the world, but not people in the church. But people in the church that compromise are connected to the spirit of Antichrist. But people that love the truth and are faithful to truth are connected to the message of Jesus Christ. And even those outside the truth that don't understand and don't know, but they're praying... Just like you read in Acts 10, Cornelius and his family, they didn't have the truth, didn't know the truth. They're praying, but God just stopped him one day and said, your prayers have come up as a memorial before me. And I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you go get this preacher and he's going to tell you how to be saved. He's going to preach to you about Acts 2.38. And he went and preached to them the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. While he yet preached to them, the Holy Ghost fell on them. And they began speaking in other tongues and the Spirit of God gave the other. It's because God is going to honor a hunger for truth. They that hunger and thirst after righteousness, not might, but shall be filled. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost, or before the outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Acts 2, 
Follow with me here. We had Joel's prophecy about the outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. We also had a command from Jesus himself in Luke 24. He said, before he ascended up and have this 120 people in Acts 1 that are praying daily. For days they prayed and prayed and prayed. Scholars tell us anywhere from 10 to 40 days they prayed and they prayed. And finally, Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and they began speaking other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. The 120 put themselves in position to be influenced and impacted by Joel's prophecy. Hey, there was a lot more than 120 people that knew Jesus Christ. But it was only 120 that were there on the day of Pentecost. There were thousands that were impacted by his ministry. But it was 120 that went to the upper room and prayed. And when the Holy Spirit fell in that place, they had positioned themselves to be blessed by the prophecy of Joel. And so that's why I tell the church, and that's what I'm preaching to you tonight. You can't expect prophecy just to sweep you off your feet and defy your will. God has given every human being a will to determine what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And God implores us by his grace and mercy and by the preaching of the gospel. But at some point in time, you have to put yourself in position to be positively impacted by the prophecy of Joel that in the last days saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So the 120 went back to Jerusalem and they prayed. But there's another line of prophecy that's at work that comes from the Antichrist and there's no middle ground. We either position ourselves to be blessed by Jesus Christ or cursed by the Antichrist. Here's the good news. I say it humbly before you, but I believe it with everything within me. And I'm not just speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for the ministry in general in this church. You're not being led by teachers with itching ears. You were being led by people that got a hold of what Paul was talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm talking about people that would not compromise for love or money. I'm just going to tell you right now, you can't buy this truth that's in my spirit. There is no amount of money that anybody in this world could offer me to let go of this apostolic truth. There is no pleasure in this world that could equate itself to this great apostolic truth, knowing God and the power of his spirit and the truth of his word. By the grace of God, we're going to do our best to give you an opportunity this year to position yourself for apostolic revival. I want to close with this. And I can't think personally of a better example of how we need to position ourselves in these last days than what Isaiah affords us and what happened to him in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. Sister Dees, y'all can come. He's already a preacher, a prophet. In fact, we read his writings and for five chapters before this. But when you get to Isaiah chapter 6, 
He shares this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up in his train, filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried and another, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me. I'm not talking about somebody that's been living a life out in the world. I'm not even talking about somebody just a member of a church. I'm talking about the preacher, the prophet Isaiah said, woe is me. For I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Four steps. Number one, living in all of God's glory. Not living in all of the abilities of humanity, but living in all of the abilities of God. I don't want folks talking about how good I preach. I don't want all we talk about is how good these folks sing and they do an awesome job. I have to be careful not to get too carried away. I put on my phone. Turning on, listen to them, blesses my heart. But I'm going to tell you, if we're going to really position ourselves where we need to be, we got to get in a place where we can see God's glory, God's abilities, all that God can do. I want you to just stop and think for just a moment. You're living out there in the world and your life's turned upside down. You're miserable, perhaps even suicidal. You could care less how good somebody can preach, and you can care less how good somebody can sing. All you know is, I need help from this mess I'm in. Who can help me? Is there anybody out there that could help me? I wish I was smart enough to work out everybody's problems. I wish these folks could sing good enough that automatically all your problems were taken care of. But I'm just telling you the only one I know that can do that is Jesus. That's why we need to see his abilities demonstrated and live in all of his glory. That's the position of the church to have revival in the last days. Number two. Humbling ourselves before the Lord, living a repentant life. Even the preacher cried out, woe is me. You know, you, you get to thinking if you're not careful, you live for God for a number of years, you cleaned up your act. And some of you folks used to be strung out on drugs and you were alcoholic, you cussed like a sailor, you lied, you stole, you cheated. 
But now you've lived for God for a number of years and you feel like you're a pretty good person. But I'm just telling you, you can be the best person in the world. But when you see God's glory and his holiness, even the preacher says, woe is me. We don't need to puff our chest out in pride because of how we live. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and realize how did we get to where we are? His grace and his mercy, only God can do it. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Third, if we can see him in his glory, if we can humble ourselves before him, then maybe we could hear the voice of God calling us. If we made it real clear, we preached it over and over to you, church. Your pastor is not the only one that's called. Every one of you have a calling of God on your life. It may not be the same kind of calling that I've got, but every child of God has got a calling on their life. Can you hear the voice of God? In being with Brother Staten this past weekend, there is nothing that stood out to me anymore than the need to hear the voice of God, to know there's a hungry soul that I need to go talk to. Story after story after story where he heard the voice of God say, go speak to them, go speak to that one. And to see miraculous conversions. Can we hear the voice of God? And then last, Isaiah saw him in his glory, fell down repenting before the Lord, heard the voice of God. And then he said, Here am I. Send me. I will go. That's the position of the church. That's where we have to be. There's this great prophecy. In the last days, saith God, I'll pour up my spirit upon all flesh. But just like those kids got to go out there to where that sprinkler is, you got to go to where that prophecy is. And I'm going to tell you where that prophecy is. It's where God's glory is revealed. It's where you humble yourself before him. It's where you can hear his voice. And it's where you say, here, my Lord, send me. I'll go. I'll do your will. For most of you good folks here tonight, it's not going to be, I can't hear God's voice because I'm out here boozing it up or I'm being unfaithful to my spouse. That's not the case for most of you. For most of you, it's going to be a struggle because you're too busy with just everyday cares of life. And that's what the Lord said in his word. He compared it to the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, days of Noah. They bought, they sold, they built, they planted. Those are not sinful things. He said they knew not until the day got there. They never got aligned with the voice of God where they could enjoy prophetic blessings. And I'm challenging this church. We're going to do our best to give you an opportunity. We're going to start Friday night kicking off 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to give you just a real honest thing before we sing. Maybe, maybe. You think, I think, 
I'm just way up here and you're a bunch of peons and you just don't get it. Nothing could be further from the truth. I understand. You don't always feel like praying. You don't always feel like going to church. You're not always excited when they say, come on up and let's pray. But if you would just trust God and the leadership of this church a little bit, just come around. Just go to that prayer meeting. If nothing else, sit in one of these chairs and listen to some of these folks pray. Years ago, I just started pastoring, and there was a dear sister going through something. It was awful what she was going through. It was way over my head. I didn't have the words to say it. But I still remember being at my father-in-law's house, mother-in-law, brother Theodore, sister Sybil's house. I still remember this dear sister sitting on the hearth in their living room, begging us to pray. She said, I'm too weak to pray. But if I could just hear y'all pray, just maybe, maybe God would come through. Can I tell you God came through? Can I tell you God honored that? Can I tell you that was good enough for God? And can I tell you, if you'll just drag yourself out here and listen to somebody else pray, you're going to feel God calling you. And the next thing you know, you're going to be praying and making a difference. Let's stand as we begin to sing.